Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. Good morning again, UU Venice. Um, It is a pleasure to be here and to enter in dialogue today with your community. I jumped at the opportunity to be in communion with you, a community my parents are a part of and hold dear. The date was picked, and as I committed myself to the task, it occurred to me that I only tangentially knew what my UU brothers and sisters and people believe. I was somewhat familiar with the principles and the living traditions that you hold sacred. But as I began preparing for the homily, I was drawn most to the first and second principles, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and justice and equity and compassion in human relations. I'm inspired by the deeds of prophetic women and men today who challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. It is through these lenses I want to engage you here today from a place of acknowledgement, affirmation, and even admiration for the principles that shape your daily congregational life. It's essential that I name my own social location and faith commitments. I understand God as expressed through Jesus Christ, and the United Church of Christ is indeed my home denomination. Currently, I attend and am an adjunct minister at Sanctuary Community Church in Iowa City, Iowa. And both blackness and queerness inform how I read and how I make my way through and understand the world that I'm living in. Um, A side note is I'm moved and so happy that my parents have called me, my brother, and our respective, and my sister and our respective partners uh, to here to Venice to spend time with our family. It's, it's nice that you also are part of that family, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Today, I'll be examining two events from the book of Acts in the Christian scriptures. Both stories contend with questions of inclusion and citizenship. I believe these passages might offer insight and illuminate what is at stake for all of humanity and, and us in particular in this moment. I'll take an opportunity to offer a little background and the timeline for the Christian scriptures that we'll be engaging with today. At this point in the story, um, Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and ascended to the Father, if you believe that sort of thing. Um, he has been issued the great, he has issued the great commandment that empowers the apostles and others to proclaim the good news of Christ's resurrection in many languages to crowds and pilgrims from many lands. At this moment, Christianity, as we understand it, is not a thing. It has not arrived. This moment, uh, these believers are still a Jewish sect. And one of these believers is the disciple Peter, who has been called by God to share um, and to teach uh, the Jewish people about um, Christ. The Jews of the time had been taught through oral tradition and culture that eating certain foods makes you ritually unclean. And so does eating with people who are non-Jewish. God commanded the kosher laws to, to the children of Israel in the Sinai Desert. Moses taught them to the people, wrote the basic of these laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the books of the Christian scriptures. The details were handed down through the generations and eventually written down in the Mishnah and the Talmud, uh, the commentary books for our Jewish brothers and sisters. 
the rabbinical authorities enacted various ordinances through the generations as safeguards for these biblical laws. These laws also separated Jews from Gentiles and those who are in the chosen circle and also separating those who are outside of it. And our story picks up where the disciple Peter was led by the spirit to a Gentile's house. And as he is caught having testified to, he's caught having to testify to other Jewish people what he did and what God told him to do, which seems to be in contrast to his culture and in a way scripture, the way he was brought up and even possibly his own bias. The truth is that that moment is God had opened up the family. Um, he had given the same gifts whether Peter was ready or not, and even if he had anxiety, even if he thought inclusion might change his relationship with God, God had already moved. Um, and so this story goes um, like there's a big white sheet from heaven that falls down and has all these animals on it. Um, and God says to Peter, rise and eat. And then Peter, being a good Jewish boy, is like, no, God, I'm, I'm not going to eat that. I'm, I'm, I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm not eating that food. Nothing unclean has ever touched my mouth. And I think this might be one of the only times in the Christian scriptures that I can recall where someone says no to God, um, which I find very, very delightful. <laughs> um, so he says, no, God. And uh, God says, no, eat it. And he says, no. God says, eat it one more time. And he says, no. And then the sheet goes back up to heaven. And what makes this story particular or makes it particularly yummy for me is that um, these would have prevented Gentile people from being able to worship at the temple. It would, have it, it would have prevented them from being able to be fully inclusive, fully members of God's family. And in this moment, whether Peter knows it or not, God has just opened up uh, the family to people who were, thought, who were recently excluded. So all of a sudden, people who are on the outside are now on the inside. Um, and Peter is declaring, maybe because of the way he was raised. Um, I know I have a, I have, I can draw real strong parallels to the way we might have been raised. Um, that might be challenging when we find new information that causes us into inclusion. But God has already moved. Peter recognizes this familiar spirit being poured out. He would have saw this at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on those gathered. And now they're falling on. Uh, Gentiles. The citizenship and the rules of citizenship have already been rewritten. I fast forward to the ministry of Paul, who is similarly called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And after delivering a sermon in which he proclaimed that Jews and Gentiles are equal in the eyes of God, like straight gay people are equal in the eyes of God, like our trans brothers and sisters are equal in the eyes of God, the Jewish audience who heard this became a violent mob, calling for Paul's death, and the Roman soldiers took Paul into custody for inciting violence. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he told the commander saying, take care of what you do for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he says, yes. The commander answered, I obtained my citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul says, I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. The commander was also afraid that he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. And in the way in this which this works in antiquity is being a Roman citizen or being a citizen provides you with protection. You can't be harmed without going to trial. 
And so there's all of these sorts of ways in which being a citizen is like a cloak of protection to keep you from being harmed unnecessarily. And at this moment in which Paul is, being, is about to be beaten and questioned by the Roman soldiers, he reinscribes his Roman citizenship and his Roman citizenship protects him. The words, yes, I am, saved him. And the actual Latin is Romus sumus sum, which means I am a Roman citizen. This statement, yes, I am, is both part declaration and part reclamation. The same sentiment that was found in this desperate cry from the striking Memphis sanitation workers in the 1960s. I can't help but see the correlation with Paul's response to the question of citizenship, yes, I am, with the signs that were worn in the Memphis striking proclaiming, I am a man. Although a politically applicable statement, it is not totally unproblematic. The statement leaves women, and particularly black women, on the outside of the claim for humanity. However, I am a man can be regarded as reclaiming humanity by asserting humanness. I propose, I put forward that the declarations of citizenship by Paul and the 1968 sanitation workers during the civil rights era produces a kind of testimony. And in Paul's case, it enacts protection of the body. They can't hurt him because he's a Roman citizen. So much so that to put a Roman citizen in chains without a trial would be potentially dangerous for the soldiers. And in this case, for the sanitation workers, the testimony marks their absence of social citizenship. It marks how they are not treated as citizens. And to add to this, I think state-sanctioning violence that has happened uh, for a lot of black people um, in the last few years, I believe imagines both the black sanitation workers as being unclean and somehow police officers in this particularly contemporary time that we're living in might also imagine black people as being unclean, as being distant from themselves, as being different from them, as not participating in their full humanity. And most of all, they don't have the protection of being a citizen. And I would say the police officers today do not fear what the Roman soldiers enacts fear, which is legal and social retribution. If you run, they will murder you. That's Walter Scott. They will murder you in transit by driving recklessly. That's Freddie Gray. If you resist, they will murder you. Alton Sterling. They will shoot you in the back in your grandmother's yard if you have a cell phone in your hand and say it was a gun. Stephen Clark. If you have your children with you, they will murder you. Corinne Gaines. If you are guilty, they will murder you even for a minor infraction. It's Eric Gardner. If you have a gun, they will murder you even if you have a license. Philodando Castile. If you move too fast, they will accidentally murder you. Akia Gurley. If you are a woman, they will murder you. Sandra Bland. They will break into your house with a no-knock warrant and kill you. Brianna Taylor. They will pull you out of your car for an alleged counterfeit $20 and kill you and say you're resisting. George Floyd. They will leave your black body on the street for all to see an urban crucifixion. And it's important to note that crucifixion was only ever reserved for those who are not Romans. The first and second principles of the Unitarian Universalism calls us to respect the inherent worth and dignity of every person and work for justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. I invite you to seek inclusion over exclusion and recognize the spirit moving ahead of us, beyond us, and often in spite of us. And who are we to stand in God's way? The worth of queer bodies or black bodies, and indeed the worth of all of our bodies, is ever visible. We are worthy. We are worth so much. 
Because God, she threw open her hands and her arms and she says, this is the good news, liberation. Who are we to stand in the way of inclusion? Our refusal to see it does not change God's momentum or movement. God has already moved. God has already made us family and citizens. God has already come. Amen.